Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. on the Garden DC podcast, we're joined by Wanda McLaughlin, and she is a University of Maryland Extension Specialist, and she works with the Bayou-Lewise Landscape Management Program. Wanda, welcome. Well, thank you, Kathy. It's an honor to be with you today. Thanks, Wanda, and I know this is your first podcast, so we're going to take it easy on you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and we do want to hear all about Baywise landscapes and why that's so important here in the Mid-Atlantic area. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about you, Wanda, and your background. And um, are you a green thumb? Were you born with chlorophyll in your veins? (laughs) Good question. Actually, um, when I was growing up, my mom had a garden. We had had a summer house down in St. Mary's County, which was about two, a two-hour drive from Baltimore City, which is where I was born and raised. And so my mom, we would go down, we would call it going down the country. So we'd go down the country every weekend. My dad was building a house down there. And every, every weekend, we would go down into the woods and pull up some leaf mold. I didn't know that it was called leaf mold at the time, but we would just go digging in, in, in the ground and pulling up leaf mold and bringing it up to the house so my mom could build, create this garden. And so she didn't, we grew lots of vegetables. My dad planted some fruit trees and we had grapes. And so that's kind of how I got my start. And um, it just kind of went on from there. I was always interested in science, you know, in school. And um, when I graduated from high school, I received a four-year academic scholarship to St. Mary's College, which is a small liberal arts college in in Southern Maryland. And um, I was studying marine biology. And when we had to dissect an earthworm, that's when I realized that although I like science, I I didn't like the animal aspect of it. So then I decided, okay, well, I'll We'll study plants instead. And so I eventually got a degree in horticulture and there I am. Interesting. And have you always been with um, University Extension or did you have um, experience at local garden centers or elsewhere? No, actually, um, I when I graduated, I went to Kansas State University on a track scholarship <laughs> and um, graduated Kansas State and in horticulture, went to University of Maryland uh, for my master's degree in horticulture. And directly from there, I did an internship with University of Maryland uh, Extension in Baltimore City. And when I graduated, I was fortunate enough to be hired. So I went straight from school to my first job, and I'm still in that job. Excellent. Yeah, you don't hear that much these days that somebody's sticking with their first straight out of college. That's great. And that you graduated straight into a, a job in the same field that you have the degree for. So many people, you know, they pursue a degree, but then go into a different field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I was lucky that way. Hmm. And uh, calling back to your track scholarship, do you still run? You know what? I have no cartilage left in my knees. So no, I can't run. I walk and I practice yoga, but no running, unfortunately. Mm, Sorry to hear that, but yeah, Mm. yoga is wonderful. Sure is. (laughs) So for the Baywise program, what is a a typical day like for you? Are you visiting sites? Are you answering calls or emails? Well, that's how it all started. 
And then it became a little overwhelming. And so what, what I've done is now I train master gardeners and they do all the work. And all I have to do is manage um, everything that goes along with the program on the statewide level. But, uh, and I, but I do train the master gardeners and they do all of the, the heavy lifting. And so um, they will, you'll, a person will make an appointment with their local master gardener program and master gardeners, the Baywise master gardeners will come out to their landscape, consult with them using the, our tool, which is called the yardstick and um, determine whether their landscape is certifiable. And that's the goal is to check off at least 36 points, or we call them inches, off of the yardstick. And um, that's how they get their landscape certified. And once landscape is certified, they get a little sign that they put in their yard. And that actually encourages others in the neighborhood to learn more about landscape management, Baywise landscape management. And before we go into all the details of that yardstick mm-hmm. and all the things you can do to be Baywise, uh, since we have listeners who are outside of our region and we're basically based here in the mid-Atlantic USA, uh, we should talk about where the Chesapeake Bay is and how far that bayscaping might extend. Um, so could you describe that for us? Okay. Yeah. Um, the Chesapeake Bay is on the east coast of the United States. And the Ch- we talk about the Chesapeake Bay watershed. Um, the Chesapeake Bay watershed actually covers six states. And, and that in- it starts up in Cooperstown, New York, um, covers parts of New York, Pennsylvania, Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, a little bit of Delaware. And um, let's see, there are about 18,000, I mean, sorry, 18 million people that live within the watershed. And uh, let's see, what else can I tell you about the Chesapeake Bay watershed? Um, the, the watershed is is very, very important here in Maryland because... Um, well, let me just say that there are about 64,000 square miles within the Chesapeake Bay watershed. Contains about 150 major rivers and streams, um, but that also contains about 100,000 smaller tributaries that uh, go into those major rivers, and then the rivers then dump into the Chesapeake Bay. So. Um, and, and did I mention that it's an estuary? No, we should definitely define that term. Yeah, yeah. The Chesapeake Bay is the largest estuary in the United States. And an estuary is a place where fresh water and salt water mix. So it is a very fertile place for the 3,600 species of plants and animals that it supports, both in and on, in the water and on the land. And um, about 90% of the fresh water entering the bay is delivered from five major rivers, including the Susquehanna, which is responsible for 50% of the fresh water. And that's where Cooperstown, New York, and all of Pennsylvania, all of that, all the rivers that feed into the Susquehanna River, that's that portion, the Potomac River in Maryland and in what um, in Virginia, the James, Rappahannock and York are the other three big rivers that um, contribute 90 percent of the fresh water that enters the bay. So that, you know, it's it's a huge area. And it's important for a lot of different reasons. You know, um, it helps support our region's economy because besides the amount of seafood, I mean, it produces about 5 million pounds of seafood each year. There are two of the five major Atlantic ports are within the Chesapeake Bay. That's Norfolk, 
um, Norfolk Hampton Roads area, and then the Baltimore Harbor port. So if you can imagine all those ships coming in, bringing everything that we consume in, you know, from other countries, it, the Bay is very important economically. It's also important um, for recreation because you know the shoreline measures about 11,000 miles worth of shoreline within the Chesapeake Bay. Um, and tourism, of course, is very important. When you think about going deep sea fishing in the bay, um, kayaking, swimming, there are, I think, about 700 public access points on the Chesapeake Bay and its tributaries. So that's another reason that it's so important. So economy, recreation, but to me, the most important is um, the natural habitat. There are more than 500 finfish and shellfish species living within the bay. Uh, there are 2,700 plant species that live within that Chesapeake Bay watershed. And the bay is actually home to 29 species of waterfowl. And it's, it's part of the migratory flyway, the part of the Atlantic migratory migratory bird flyway. So when birds are migrating, um, they use the bay as one of their stopping off, stopping off areas. So that's why the bay is so important. <laughs> so many ways it touches our lives too. Yeah. So, so interesting. And so the bay itself, um, I guess it was considered to be a troubled or in, no, I wouldn't say endangered, but that increasing development was causing pollution and sediment runoff into local waterways that was reaching the bay. Um, what other ways was human existence impacting the bay's health? Well, um, I don't know whether I mentioned there are about 18 million people who live within the Chesapeake Bay watershed. Mm -hmm. And if you are one of those 18 million people who live within the watershed, then the bay actually starts at your back door or your front door. Um, everybody in the watershed lives just a few minutes from one of the um, streams or rivers or entry, I'll say entry ports, because even living in Baltimore City, anything that flowed off of my little row house um, plot of, of land went into the gutter that gutter the water flowed down the street to the storm drain that storm drain daylights into the, um, the jones falls which then dumps into the inner harbor which then goes out into the bay so everybody has some effect on on the bay so things that is fertilizers you put on your lawn and garden, um, pesticides you put on your you spray on your plant on your landscape plants, salt that we put for de-icing salts that we put on the ground for in the wintertime, mm -hmm. that flows into the bay. The oil and and um, anything that comes out of out of your cars, like antifreeze or or oil or anything that lands on the roads, the rain washes that into the bay. So we all, no matter where we live, we have some effect on the bay. And I'm talking about, I'm, I am concerned about the Chesapeake Bay, but no matter where you live in the country, that anything that flows off of your land will go into your local waterway. So that's something that you know, a lot of people don't think about, but it's something that we really need to be concerned about. And so whatever we do can affect the big picture. Hmm. And you do see a lot of coverage of fertilizer in particular. So that could be from um, chicken farms, that could be from growing soybeans or corn, but that can also be, of course, from home gardeners. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, and in Maryland, we have 
actually, there's a county in Maryland, Montgomery County, that now has established a law that prevents homeowners from fertilizing their lawns. That's how bad it's gotten. So, um, yeah, it is an issue. And the University of Maryland has come up with some guidelines, some fertilizer guidelines, um, and so or recommendations. So if you are going to fertilize, we have recommendations that you must follow in order to not uh, pollute the Chesapeake Bay with excess nutrients. And what is the issue with excess nutrients? Because you find, you, you hear that and you're like, well, more is always better, right? <laughs> so <laughs> what is it in the fertilizer that impacts the bay in a negative way? Well, when we talk about nutrients, um, what happens is that, um, and, and when I say nutrients, I'm talking about things like nitrogen and phosphorus, Right. So um, when you fertilize, um, well, let me back up and say in a balanced system, nutrients are consumed by algae. There are nutrients in, in the water and that helps, that, that's part of the nutrient cycle. Um, so the nutrients feed the algae um, and small fish like, and crabs and shellfish, they feed on the algae. Larger fish consume smaller ones, and um, animals such as humans and bears and raccoons, whatever, we consume the larger fish. So it's all part of the natural food web. That occurs in a balanced system where just the right amount of nutrients are introduced. But in developed and highly populated areas, fertilizers from farms and lawns and gardens, as well as organic material, overload the water with far too many nutrients. And this overabundance of nutrients actually creates an overpopulation of algae called an algal bloom. And this is what causes pond water to turn green. So when excess algae dies and, and the weeds and all die and decay, that process consumes oxygen in the water. And then when that oxygen is depleted, aquatic life can no longer live. And so um, there are areas in the Chesapeake Bay, we call them the dead zone because that's where little to no oxygen um, occurs, you know, because of overabundance of nutrients. So, and when we talk about nutrients, we're talking about organic materials such as manure, you know, animal waste, even pet waste, when you're walking your dog, pick up after your dog. Don't, don't leave it on the sidewalk because when it rains, that's how nutrients get introduced into the, the water system. Um, leaves during, at this time of year, when all the leaves are starting to fall, rake them instead of leaving them in the street because if you leave them in the street, Rains will um, wash them into the gutters, but then as they decompose, again, they are releasing more nutrients. Grass clippings, fertilizers, those are sources of nutrients. Other sources could in, include um, sewage from treatment plants, wastewater treatment plants, um, lawns, as I mentioned, and even bathrooms and kitchens. Think of kitchen scraps. You know, if you have um, a food disposer, that food is a nutrient. That's why we eat it, because it's got plenty of nutrients in it. But if it goes down the drain, then that water, if you're on a well, it goes right into your into the soil. But if you're on public water, public water, it'll go to the wastewater treatment plant. And sometimes they can't get all those all that nitrogen out of the water. And so once they take out as much debris and whatever they can at the wastewater treatment plant, that water just gets put right back into the local river. So again, and, and another source that we may not think about is automobiles. 
nitrogen oxide from fuel combustion. Mm-hmm. That that nitrogen goes up into the sky and combines with moisture in the clouds to form acids. And then when it rains, comes back down as nitrogen oxides. And, and, and that's what creates acid rain. Again, another source of nutrients. And so the yardstick that you've created, um, that would inform a homeowner or home gardener how, what actions they can take. Um, yes. So let's go down some of those groups uh, in the in the yardstick brochure. And for those who are listening, they can go and download that. And I'm going to let you share that website. Oh, okay. Let's see. It would be, uh, we, we shortened the website. I think it's go.umd.edu. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say I have it here. Is that I also have it as extension.umd.edu slash Baywise. Right. Um, and Baywise, all one word, B-A-Y. W-I-S-E. Yeah. Yeah, I was trying to get the um, the shortened version, but I can't remember. It's, <laughs> it's in my email tag, but I don't remember. Okay. And we'll try to include that link in the listener notes as well. So people can go directly to that for the, for the actions they can take. Wait a minute. Here, here it is. Here it is. I got it. Okay. It, it is go.umd.edu slash Baywise. And Great. Baywise is one word. Okay. Excellent. And so you, then it's about, a, you know, a few pages of steps that you check off. And next to the actions, there's a, a blank box. So my question was, do you have to check off every one of those boxes in order to get the certificate to be certified as a Baywise landscape? Absolutely not. There, there are probably over 80 or 90 possible points mm-hmm. to get in the yardstick and all you need are 36. Oh, great. Because I noticed some are, are one point type thing or get you one inch on the yardstick and others are bigger, like a three inch uh, exactly. portion of that yardstick. So that's great. Yeah, yeah. It it's actually pretty easy, and and um, the yardstick was created actually to um, encourage people. It basically it's a fact sheet. It, it, University of Maryland is really, or Extension is really um, big on creating fact sheets, and so this is a fact sheet. This yardstick is really a fact sheet, but I wanted to make it fun, make it interactive, make you know, make it something that that you could have some fun with and use it time after time after time. So I made it so that it's a checklist. And so each of those points, each of those checkboxes, there is a practice that you're checking off, but also there might be a little bit more information about why you're checking it off. For instance, we've there are I think about eight different categories, and they include stormwater control, stormwater runoff, encourage wildlife, protect the waterfront, mow properly and water efficiently, manage yard pests with integrated pest management, which we call IPM for short, mulch appropriately and recycle yard waste. There's fertilizing wisely and also planting wisely. So in under each of those categories, there are several different practices that a person can do to earn points to, uh, toward having their landscape certified. Hmm. And looking over the list, I imagine most of those, most home gardeners are already doing. So they can quickly yes. go through and, and check off a bunch of those. So like plant ground covers, under trees or on a slope to, to decrease erosion. So most of us are going to do that, whether we're thinking of the Chesapeake Bay's health or not. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The, um, the, the Baywise program was created really, it, it kind of um, combines all the aspects of landscape management of, of, of horticulture. So it, it, contains information about landscape management, soil management, lawn care, mulching, fertilizing, plant selection, IPM, 
And I threw a couple extra topics in like hydrology and hazardous household products and uh, water conservation in the home to develop this holistic program. And that's the program that I used to train the master gardeners to then teach their local community members um, how to garden more um, sustainably. Mm. And from the checkoff actions, has it evolved that some of the actions you've included in the past were taken off just because some people found it more difficult or hard to do? And have you added some more recently? Well, we haven't taken them off because people find it difficult to do. We have taken some off because there's just not enough space on the yardstick when we wanted to add some more, (laughs) some different um, actions. And so nowadays, stormwater management is huge. And so, you know, we've had to eliminate a couple things and um, just so we could have everything fit on this sheet of paper. And well, when you do it online, you could obviously add more to that too. Yeah, yeah, we, we could, but I, the, the, we, and actually, now that you mentioned online, mm-hmm. you can, if a person wants to download the paper copy and, right on that. They can do that. But we've also created, I say we, I had nothing to do with it, but our IT um, team has created an online version. So you can actually download, it's, I believe it's in PDF. You download it onto your device. It could be your phone or your iPad or your computer. And it, it comes to you um, as the PDF and you can just check it, you know, put the check marks in the PDF and then send that PDF off to uh, your local extension program to have the master gardeners come out and certify your landscape. So you don't even have to print it anymore. Hmm. So there is a verification process. So once you send it in and fill it out, um, then somebody will come out actually to your property to look it over. Yes. Yeah. And that actually uh, combines two programs that master gardeners love to do. That is um, site certification, and but also consultations. Master gardeners are really good at, at um, sharing horticulture information. So they, once, once they come to your landscape to certify it, they're looking around for obviously the things that are on the yardstick. And, and oftentimes they find practices on the yardstick that you are doing, but you didn't give yourself credit for. So you may think that you scored 38 points on the yardstick, Probably by the time the master gardener consultants are done, they've found 46 points for you. So that's why, you know, I say hardly anybody has not had their landscape certified. Hmm. Yeah, it's always nice to get bonus points, right? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But most important, it's an opportunity for the master gardeners to get into the landscape to teach. Mm Mm-hmm. And one of the things I was noticing in the brochure, besides you, you're adding up your points, your inches on the yardstick, there's a couple places in there where there are subtractions. So there might be an action you take where you would be knocked back down the yardstick. Yeah, there, there are a couple. I think there's one in there about if you've got some invasive species in your landscape, oh boy, then you're going to have to subtract a point here or there. So, but again, subtracting a couple points that teaches uh, the uh, homeowner that, oh, this is something I shouldn't be doing. Master gardeners will usually find those points somewhere else. (laughs) So it's no big deal. Hmm. And what um, sister or brother programs does the Baywise uh, management work with? Are there ones... uh, other chapters in other states or within Maryland? Are there other programs that you work with? Uh, when you say other programs that we work with, in um, we there aren't 
paywise programs in other states have I've tried to, to hmm. get like our neighboring states within the Chesapeake Bay watershed, um, but haven't been successful to get takers. It, it's a it's a major um, it, it's a major undertaking. But um, within extension, we do work with other programs. For instance, the um, family and consumer science educators, I bring them in to teach about the hazardous household products and alternatives to using those hazardous household products. So we learn, um, you know, which products in your home are not good for water quality, not good for the environment. But then they also learn, well, what can I use instead of using this product that is hazardous? Of course, master gardeners know pesticides are, can be hazardous, and, but they also learn that there are alternative pesticides. And that's the whole um, premise for using integrated pest management, that is, um, you know, to use if you're going to use a pesticide, first of all, determining you definitely need to use the pesticide. Oftentimes you don't, but if you need to, choosing the proper pesticide, because there are um, alternatives such as insecticidal soaps or um, insect horticultural oils, and even using biologicals um, like BT to, which is Bacillus thuringiensis, which is just a bacteria that naturally occurs in the soil, but the different um, strains of Bt control different larvae or larval stages of different insects. So using all of those types of uh, control measures are alternatives to using some of those uh, nasty pesticides. And for the home gardener who wants to know what a Baywise landscape would look like, are there demonstration gardens or specific locations that they can visit? Yes. Most extension offices, most master gardeners have demonstration landscapes at, at the local extension office. And sometimes, in some instances, um, they may not be at the office, but they'll be in the community somewhere. So I would suggest contacting your local extension office and, and asking for the Baywise Master Gardeners, and they can share with you where their demonstration sites are. And the other thing is that um, even in the community, Master Garden. Okay, so the Baywise program was really started to um, educate homeowners. And so it really is a residential landscape management program. But you know how those master gardeners are. They are very enterprising and they wanted to do a little more. So they started certifying public spaces like libraries, um, church, church grounds. Um, even some parks, parts of some parks are certified as Baywise. And so those sites, sometimes they have an even larger sign. Usually when a home landscape is certified, they get a sign that's about six inches by seven inches. And, um, which is a manageable size. And, and that's about the same size as the security signs you see on lawns. Um, so that it passed it passes muster on on all of the homeowner association regulations, um, but on non-residential sites, we even have larger signs. So you may see a 18 by 24 inch sign or a 12 inch by 18 inch sign, which would designate um, sites that are um, non-residential. Interesting. Yeah. And I would think that those public locations like at a church or a local library or maybe a county office building would be much more accessible. And also the sign would be more prominent for somebody to come across and say, oh, what is this program? And how is this different from, say, a stormwater management uh, garden or a rain garden or that sort of thing? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and and speaking of rain gardens, um, that would you had you asked me earlier whether there was something that we've added to the yardstick. 
So when rain gardens came into vogue, we threw that into the yardstick as well. So you get a point or two if you have a rain garden. And is there a continuing education or certification, say, I got certified back in, I don't know, 2015. Do I need to every year reaffirm that or get visited every 10 years or something? Or you're just certified um, from then on? Well, interesting you say that because that is a topic that has come up. um, And we are looking into... Uh, recertification or or checking on. Sometimes people have have moved. Occasionally, they will actually turn their signs back in, or they'll leave the sign and share the information with the new homeowner. So, you know, we've been certifying landscapes for twenty five years now. This year, two thousand twenty one, in November, we will be celebrating our twenty fifth anniversary. So there could conceivably be some landscapes out there that have been certified many, many years ago. So we are looking into possibly going back and recertifying. Thing is that that takes um, manpower. And the manpower are the Master Gardener volunteers. So um, we're working that out. But that's a good question. Yeah, I can imagine that that would take a lot of work to do all of that backlog of all of them. And, of course, it is mainly on our system. Yes. um, Once you've been certified that you'll maintain that. And the other thing I was thinking of besides um, transferring of ownership um, was that if you had a sign and maybe something happened to it, um, is it easy to get a replacement for that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we do. We're still, um, we're handing it, we're still handing out those signs. And so as a matter of fact, I had a call, um, a couple months ago where, uh, I think somebody had backed into the sign and, and destroyed the sign. And so, and, and her landscape was certified in 2007. And so when you get your landscape certified, you get a little sticker on the, um, on, on the sign that says when the landscape was certified, you know, what year it was certified in. And so I looked back in all of my supplies and I found a sticker that said certified in 2007. And so I sent her a new sign that said certified in 2007. So obviously she has, you know, is very proud of that landscape mm-hmm. and um, wanted, even though, you know, so many years ago it was certified, she wanted to make sure that her neighbors uh, knew that it, it still was qualifying as Baywise. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine it could be part of um, a selling point for a home yes. that you are Baywise certified? Yes. Yeah. I've, I've had um, people call me to ask about that. You know, they're selling their home or they're buying a home and they want to make sure that it's Baywise. And I had never thought of that, you know, that that would be um, a result of the program, but it's, it's a big deal out there. And you know what, you asked me about demonstration landscapes, and I will say that the master gardeners who have taken the Baywise advanced training, and and this advanced training is about 12 to 15 hours of training in those topics that I I mentioned earlier. Um, Once they take that training, they become what we call Baywise master gardeners. And if they get their landscape certified, their sign says that this is a demonstration landscape. Come in and ask me what's going on with this landscape. So there are demonstration, residential demonstration sites around. You just have to read the sign because a client landscape sign just says the landscape was certified as Baywise, but for the master gardeners, who have taken the Baywise Advanced Training, their sign says that their landscape is a demonstration landscape. And is there an online map or listing somewhere where where someone can search for 
that there's say 30 in their local zip code or 50 in a neighboring zip code? Yeah, you know, that is something that I would like to have, but I don't technically have that capability. Um, We do though, um, our Sea Grant Extension Specialists have created what's called a smart tool. And that is a tracking tool that tracks practices um, for um, the the state. And, And so I think Baywise Landscapes are something that they can check off on that tool so you that can track them but baywise um just the baywise program doesn't have a way to track that and it's just because i have no idea how to do that hmm. maybe you'll get one of those master gardener volunteers to help you with a um, map or tracking system. yeah that would be that would be wonderful yes that would be great because i can imagine there could be some you know little friendly competition between um, two neighboring towns or two counties that, you know, one could claim we have 5,000 and the other has 4,000. So there could be a little bit of bragging rights there. Well, you know what? Interestingly, I have kept statistics from day one of all of the landscapes that have been certified as Baywise. And so I can tell you, if you tell me a county, I can tell you how many landscapes have been certified as Baywise demonstration sites, how many have been certified as client sites, and how many non-residential sites there are. So I can tell you right now that 3,329 landscapes have been certified as being Baywise, and there are 685 demonstration sites, which are the landscapes uh, that are owned by Baywise Master Gardeners. And that is throughout the years, throughout the 25 Mm -hmm. years. Hmm. Really nice. Well, congratulations on those numbers. And I do hope that the neighboring states who are also in the Chesapeake uh, Bay watershed, you know, Delaware and Virginia and Pennsylvania uh, can put together a similar program and maybe mirror what you're doing here. That would be wonderful. I would love that. And and I certainly would be willing to help, um, you know, extension uh, my counterparts in those states to uh, create a program like that. Hmm. And aside from our Mid-Atlantic Chesapeake Bay watershed, are there other parts of the nation or even internationally that you could see benefiting by this program? Oh yeah, as I said, every if if rainwater falls on on your land, then that rainwater becomes stormwater, and that stormwater washes whatever's on the land off the land into the local water system. So even though we call it Baywise Landscape Management, um, these practices are are practical for anybody, wherever you live. So yeah, the program could be easily duplicated and adapted for, for many other landscapes. Exactly. And you know what? You don't need, you don't have to have your landscape certified, but I would encourage people to just download, look at that yardstick and just use it as a guide to what you could be doing in your landscape that not only beautifies your landscape, but also um, it helps to uh, make sure that the environment, your environment is um, not as polluted as it could be. The one thing that I will say is that the, the Maryland yardstick does ha- list some plants that are specific to Maryland but you can just as easily find a list of plants that do the same thing wherever you live. And you can do that just by contacting your local extension office. Great. Well, thank you so much, Wanda. This has been fascinating. And I'm definitely going to go through that checklist myself and get one of those signs because I have like three other certifications, but 
I now I need that visualized <laughs> one. <laughs> well, good luck, Happy. <laughs> Thank you. And so how would listeners um, contact you directly if they were interested in the program? And uh, we can also repeat that website for getting that Baywise PDF uh, downloaded. Okay. Well, I will give you my email address and I can give you my phone number if I can remember it. Um, mm-hmm. And so my email address is WTM at UMD.edu. That's pretty easy. And uh, my phone number is 410-531-5973. And again, that um, website is go.umd.edu. Dot edu slash baywise. Thank you, Wanda. This has been terrific. Well, you're welcome. It was a pleasure. It was my first time. I'm I'm excited. Can't wait to do the next podcast. <laughs> All right. Thank you again. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. White wood aster, plant profile. White wood aster, aster divericus, also known as Eurebia divericata, is a perennial that is hardy to zones 3 to 8 and native to the eastern United States. The small white flowers cover the plant in late summer into early fall. The daisy-like blooms are a pollinator favorite. It is the host plant for the caterpillars of the pearl crescent and checkerspot butterflies. The plant is also quite deer resistant. White wood aster grows in low mounds and is not picky about soil types. It is a tough plant and does well in part to full shade. This plant is very low maintenance. To stop it from getting too leggy and flopping over, you can cut it back in late spring or early summer to about six inches high. The Selection Eastern Star is a more compact plant and it received the highest ratings in a study of 119 asters by the Chicago Botanic Gardens Plant Evaluation Program. It can form large, dense colonies spreading by underground rhizomes. Whitewood aster tends to also self-sow freely, so cut off the flowers after they bloom, if you want to limit that tendency. Whitewood aster, you can grow that. What's new in the garden this week? Well, I'm really happy to report that we harvested our container-grown peanuts and they look fabulous. They are curing now in my sunroom and thanks to Garden Spots, a previous Garden DC guest, for giving me those seed peanuts. Those were so fun to experiment with and grow this summer and I can't wait till they're done curing so I can roast them and see how they taste and maybe save some to plant for next year. Also happening over at the community garden plot, we're harvesting lettuce and spinach and still cutting from our cutting garden flowers, celosia, gumfrena, cosmos, and zinnias. Um, In my home garden, I am getting ready to plant a bunch of bulbs for next year's spring display. So I have several different types of daffodils and muscari going in. I also have some allium for the late spring display. And I'm becoming more and more a fan of alliums because they are rabbit and deer resistant. They are just beautiful and so striking in the garden. And that's one bulb that I think is becoming more and more popular because of those reasons. 
some upcoming events. I wanted to remind you of my talk for Brookside Gardens on getting your garden ready for winter. That's taking place on November 4th, which is a Thursday at 6.30 p.m. online. So you don't need to be online at that time. You can actually register for it and then get the recording afterwards if that timing doesn't work for you. And that's, of course, 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. If you're in in another time zone, uh, check your local times for that. And you can register for that through the Active Montgomery website. Uh, Some other great classes I wanted to pull your attention to in the area for D.C. area residents are the Master Gardeners of Northern Virginia on October 29th at 11 a.m. They're having a session on composting, leave the leaves, and other beneficial practices. You can find out more about that at wgnv.org backslash events. And the U.S. Botanic Garden is having several great upcoming workshops and demonstrations and online lectures. One of them is on November 13th at 1130 a.m. And this is an online book talk on Unearthing the Secret Garden, which is a book that we recently reviewed in Washington Gardener magazine and gave a stellar rating to. So that's one that you want to tune into if you read The Secret Garden as a child and are interested in learning more about the background and the gardens that inspired that book. I highly recommend that talk. And another upcoming event that's fun for the whole family is at Green Spring Gardens on Saturday, October 30th at 1 p.m. They're going to have a family fun pumpkin painting and you can sign up for that through fairfaxcounty.gov. Happy gardening, everyone. Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter for as little as 99 cents a month by going to anchor.fm slash gardendc slash support. Another way to support this podcast is to subscribe to our monthly digital publication, Washington Gardener Magazine. To do so, go to washingtongardener.com. Thank you. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.